Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. So I've been asked to speak about restoration and refreshing and it's been tremendous over the last four weeks when we had these tremendous words brought to us and it's a great subject and one of the things that I always find when I get given a subject is I have a preconception of what I'm going to say but then when I get into the word of God it's actually nothing like what I was going to say (laughs) so it's quite quite a revelation to me so if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 verse 17 And this is um, an account of Peter and John have just been involved in the healing of the crippled man, and they've drawn a crowd, which obviously you would. And starting at verse 17, it says, Friends, I realise that that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God has fulfilled what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away, And then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through the holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise you up, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. And then Moses said, Anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. And the interesting thing that I've seen straight away in this is that salvation has a lot to do with the end times. Because if you look at um, verse 13 in the Amplified, uh, sorry, in verse 19 in the Amplified, it says, So repent, change your mind and purpose, turn around and return to God, that your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean that times of refreshing, of recovering from the effects of heat, of, of a reviving of fresh air, may come from the presence of the Lord. And to me that says, repent, turn to God, become saved, ask Jesus into your life, be baptised that your sins will be wiped out, and then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And it's interesting that there's a correlation there between salvation and the end times. If I just take you to 2 Peter 3, verse 10. And in 2 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything in it will be, will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around you is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, as he promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while we are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. 
And I love that expression, hurrying it along. The authorised version says, to hasten the day of the Lord. And I believe that as believers, we have the capacity and the capability and the opportunity to hasten the return of Jesus. Because we need to speed up what we're doing. We need to speed up the accomplishment of his purposes by calling men to himself. You see, he is waiting for many to come to repentance. The Bible says that he's calling men to himself. And the sooner we bring men to himself, the sooner that day will dawn. So salvation is part of the end times. Then we come on to times of refreshing. And this I find really exciting. Then times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah, for he must remain in heaven until the final restoration of all things. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. So what are times of refreshing? Well, refreshing is, to in, is invigorating, revitalising, reviving, restoring, bracing up, fortifying, enlivening, stimulating, freshening, energising, exhilarating, reanimating, rejuvenating, thrench, thirst quenching. It gives new strength or energy to something. And God wants the Spirit of God to refresh us in every way like that. But it goes further than that because God always wants to refresh us. In John 14, 16, in the Amplified, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counsellor, a strengthener, a standby, and he will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take into its heart, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, is with you continually. See, the Holy Spirit dwells in all of us. It dwell, he dwells in all of us. In the English Standard Version, in Jeremiah 31, 25, it says, For I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing, every languishing soul I will replenish. He wants to replenish our souls. In Psalm 23, as we all know this, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He wants us to rest in green pastures and travel by still waters. God wants to restore us. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, it says, I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. God wants to pour his spirit out on us. But God doesn't want to refresh us when times are tough or when it's been difficult. God wants us to be in a place of refreshing all the time. To live by the definition refreshing, which is energy. But some of you say, well, that's impossible. You can't be refreshing all the time. Well, let's just look at John 14, 16 again in the Amplified. Well, let's go down to seven, verse 17. It says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be with you. 
You see, God wants us to be a refreshing people because he wants to restore all things. He wants to restore all things. And because we are those who are called to call men to himself, to hasten the day of the Lord, he wants a powerful people. I found this fantastic verse in John 7, 37. And this is Jesus speaking. And he says to the crowd, Now at last, and on the most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and called out in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who adheres to or trusts in and relies on me, as the scripture said, from him, from his innermost being, will flow continually rivers of living water. But he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him as Saviour were to receive afterwards. The Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified or raised to honour. And Jesus wants us to be those who live continually with rivers of living water flowing out of us. Rivers of living water flowing out of us. And somebody said to me the day, well, what does that actually look like? You know, we want to be those who are restoring life to others all the time. And somebody said, what does that look like? And I'm so glad they asked me. So turn to John 4. And in John 4, there's the story of the woman at the well. The woman at the well. And starting in verse 9, it says, The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And dropping down to verse 13, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, and then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And dropping down to verse 25, Jesus, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And dropping down to 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. There was rivers of living water flowing from Jesus. But then if you look at verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he had told me everything I ever did. The woman had received the living water. And God wants us to be those where living water comes from us all the time. When we're meeting people, our living water is coming out. Our living water is washing over people. And sometimes we hear of revivals and we say, oh, there was a time of refreshing there was a time of refreshing. There was this blessing. There was that blessing. But I don't believe that. I, I believe that we're in times of refreshing all the time. That we are refreshers. People old enough to remember what refreshers are. <laughs> yeah. 
We are refreshers. I'm a refresher. We're refreshers because we're filled with the Spirit of God and living water flows out from us all the time. And Jesus met the woman at the well and she went into the village and she led loads of people in her village to Christ because living water was flowing out from her. And we can restore many to Christ. We can hasten the day of the Lord's coming with the living water that is within us. Hallelujah. And I just want to make an opportunity later on. If people want to receive living water, then there's living water here today. There's people here with living water that want to give you living water. So, restoration of all things. We're out there, we're giving our living water to people. You know, it says here, for he must remain in heaven until the final restoration of all things. Notice the word final. So it's ongoing. It's not finished yet, but it is ongoing. You know, when we talk about restoration, the first thing I think of, you won't remember this guy, who remembers Arthur Negus? <laughs> I remember Arthur Negus used to talk about restoration of furniture. And it's not about restoration of furniture. And Julian the other night was talking about restoration of cars, where you, re- you restore a car back to its former glory. And that's what the definition of restoration is. It's the action of returning something to a former owner, place or condition, the reinstatement of a previous practice, right or situation. It even refers to the return of a monarch to the throne, a head of state to government or a regime of power. But I don't believe any of those statements cover what we're talking about with restoration of the kingdom of God. Because restoration is about heaven coming to earth. Jesus said in Matthew 6.10, he said, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants to take the world back to the original intention. And the original intention was in the Garden of Eden. There was a perfect relationship between a man and a woman. There was a perfect relationship between man and God. They had dominion. They were ruling and subduing the earth. And they had unbroken fellowship with the Almighty God. That is what restoration is. It's taking it back to the original intention. So the kingdom is coming. And we all talk about in this church about the kingdom of God. And the, we talk about restoring the kingdom of God. And people say, well, what, does the, what is the kingdom of God? So glad you asked. If you turn to Matthew 11... See, Jesus came. When Jesus came, he started the restoration. He started the restoration. And then he left and he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came within us and that empowered us to be like Jesus, to have rivers of living water flowing within us. And in Matthew 11:2, it talks about John the Baptist who was in prison. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told him and said, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf heal, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. 
And John knew, when he heard that, John knew that his ministry had come to an end. I know he was beheaded, but in a sense, he died a happy man because he had seen restoration starting. Because God was establishing his kingdom on, his earth, on the earth, it was as though thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It was heaven on earth. And that's what we mean by the kingdom of God. You see, when we talk about end times, Jesus is not going to return to a broken, beaten, downtrodden church with no influence in the world. Okay? I need to be very clear about that. When he returns, believers are not going to breathe a sigh of relief and enter into his presence weak and beleaguered and think, well, thank heavens he's come. Where believers are going to hide away to avoid troubled times on the earth. No. When he comes, he's going to return to a glorious church. He's going to return to a glorious church. Yes, the world is and still is in moral decline. It's in economic decline. It's in ecological decline. It is going down the tubes. (laughs) But there's going to be a church where the kingdom of God is going to be evident in the world, where revival has taken place and there's been a huge thousands of people returning to Christ where believers have influence on rulers, governments, countries and society. A church where there are going to be healings and miracles all the time. Where believers are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in such abundant measure and we're going to be moving in divine purpose and anointing. A church that is a haven of health, full of blessing, provision and joy. That's the church that Jesus is going to come back to. That's the church that Jesus is going to come back to. We're going to go beyond Acts. You know, Acts was just a model. I heard a preacher once say that once we get back to Acts, Jesus is going to come back. No, he's not. Because we're writing Acts 29. When I was, years ago in Leicester Christian Fellowship, we used to, I don't don't remember, we used to have a, like a a monthly magazine about what was going on in the church. And it was called Acts 29. Because there's only 28 chapters in Acts. So we are Acts 29. You know, we're an Acts 29 church. We're moving on forward in the things of God. We've had a glimpse of the age to come, but he is preparing a church, a fantastic, glorious church that he's going to come back to. We get so involved in arguments. You know, we get involved in arguments and pointless discussions and debates about the return of Christ. The date, the events... The evidence, 666, the 144,000, Armageddon, who's it going to be between? Is it going to be between China and Russia? Is it going to be between Israel and Russia? The beast. (laughs) These things, I'm not saying we shouldn't study these things, but we should look at the return of Christ in the light of salvation and the establishment of the kingdom of God. I'm not saying we ignore those things, but we mustn't allow these things to become a deflection to us. It all sounds very spiritual, spending hours and hours discussing the effect of the kingdom of God with Donald Trump and what that means. I really don't care. What I do care about is people's lives and seeing people come into the kingdom and the fullness of God. In Mark 13, 32, it says, However, 
No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Now, I am an heir of Christ. But if Jesus doesn't know, I haven't got a chance of knowing. So why am I going to bother about it? <laughs> I've got work to do here. So let's not, in, in Colossians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I am telling you this, for one, I am telling you so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith is strong in Christ. And that's what's important. Are we living as we should, and our faith is strong in Christ? Are we filled with living water and restoring the kingdom of God? in the world, and in one another's lives. That's what's important to me. That's what the end times is all about. Healthy interest is good, but as I said, our sole objective is to see folk saved and the kingdom established in our lives. You know, the end times are all about living as we should and having faith in Christ I was, out of all the messages that we've had about end times, the Phil was the one, Phil's message was the one that sort of affected me the most because I just thought, yeah, that's so true. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready. We've got to be ready for God's coming. We should make sure that we're following the teachings that promote godly lives and we should press into God in every area of our lives and we should be ready for the, for the bride of Christ when it comes. Next week... Um, Mike's going to talk about the Bride of Christ, but I just wanted to open that up a little bit for us. That what does it mean that the church is the Bride of Christ? And it talks about a, an imagery, a symbolism of marriage is applied to Christ and the body of believers known as the church. And I don't know whether it should be the other way around, really, but there's going to come a time when Jesus will be united with the Bride, which is his body, and in Ephesians 5, there's a verse which some husbands like, some wives don't. But it says, for husbands, this means that you love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And I don't know about you, but Jesus died to give us the ability to become his perfect bride, that we would be without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Now, I, I don't have a daughter. I don't have a daughter. But I understand that when a daughter gets married, it's expensive, Phil. <laughs> and when a, when a bride gets married... The preparation is endless. Every part of the body is prepared. The eyes, the eyelashes, the hair, the teeth, the nails, eyebrows. And the cost is irrelevant. <laughs> I've got two sons that got married and the cost was irrelevant. The cost is irrelevant. And on the wedding day, all the guests get ready. And for me, 
I, the thing that most I found such a, the thing I found the greatest blessing on my son's wedding day was when I got up in the morning. I knew that there was tens of well, nearly a hundred other people getting ready. They were all getting ready to come to my son's wedding, and everyone makes the effort and puts on their Sunday best. You know, everyone gets out you know the old suit from the wardrobe, squeezes it on. And that's an earthly wedding. And I know a lot of you relate to that. Is our preparation endless and unceasing? Are we looking at every part of our lives and bringing them up to the full measure of Christ? Are we considering the cost or are we not considering the cost? Because to follow Christ costs us. Are we ready? Are we getting ready for his return like the wise virgins? And do we present to God our best at all times? Are we, we need to be getting ready. We, we talk about being in mission mode. We should be in like wedding mode. We're in wedding mode, ready for the return of Jesus. And this is another way that we hasten his coming because we're in wedding mode. You know, there's a betrothal period in the, in the Bible where the bride doesn't see the bridegroom until the wedding day. And we're in, that, we're in that phase now. We're waiting for the bride to come. And in Corinthians, it says that, for I am jealous, God is jealous for us. Mm-hmm. He wants us to be pure and holy for him. That we're not those who are flirting around with somebody else before the wedding day. That our... <laughs> Our sights are only set on him. And then there's going to come a time when we are going to be reunited with Christ. The church is going to be married to Jesus. Please don't ask me what that's going to look like. I haven't a clue. But it's going to be glorious. Because at that time, the church will be glorious. It will be mighty. It will be effective on the earth. And you and me will be part of that. It wouldn't be a message about the end times unless we turn to Revelation. You'd be amazed how I've avoided that. But the interesting thing is, and we talked about this on Thursday night at Life Group, we said that, in a sense, we can talk about the end times and never open the book of Revelation because it's all through Scripture. In Revelation 19, verse 7... It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and the bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear and the fine, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And that linen is going to be fine, it's going to be perfectly white. Because you know on a white dress... You only have to have a little blemish and you can see it. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. And in Revelation 21 verse 1 it says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea had also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven like a beautiful bride dressed for her husband. 
You know, the Apostle John sees a city coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride, meaning the city will be glorious and radiant and the inhabitants of the city, the redeemed of the Lord, will be holy and pure, wearing white garments. And some people get confused by that verse because they say, is it a bride, is it a city? But the way, the, the way I interpret that is, if there was a fire drill here today, or Monday, the school would go out... And it's a, it's a collective explanation of a body. So when the school goes out, all the children go out and they're referred to as the school. And it's the same with the Bride of Christ. They're referred to as the city. All the city come out. So how is all this going to look? <laughs> well, I'll put here, I don't know. But in closing, I do know that he will establish his kingdom on the earth and all that that means. He will come back for a glorious bride and we need to get ready. And we will be with him. In Luke 12, 40, it says, you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. Some people struggle with end times because... They want to understand totally every little nut and cranny. Well, let me just tell you, you're going to be disappointed because you can't. But what you do need to understand is what that all means for us in the future. That's what's important. And there's a wonderful hymn, which me and Dave love immensely. And it's by a preacher, an Irish Baptist preacher. It was written in 1930 called William Fullerton. And in his hymn, each verse is a pattern expressing a near incomprehension of God's plan. doesn't understand what it means. But then there is a declaration of faith of what the result of that will be. And in the last two verses, which we will sing in a, in a second, he says this, he says, I cannot tell how he will win the nations or how he will claim his earthly heritage, how he will satisfy the needs and aspirations of East and West, of sinner and of sage. But this I know, all flesh will see his glory, and he shall reap the harvest he has sown, and some glad day his sun will shine in splendour when he the Saviour, the Saviour of the world is known. I cannot tell how all the lands shall worship when at his bidding every storm is stilled or who can say how great the jubilation when all the hearts of men with God are filled. But this I know, the skies will sing his praises, 10,000, thousand human voices sing and heaven to earth and earth to heaven will answer at last the saviour, the saviour of the world is king. Father, I just pray that we would know what it is to be filled with your spirit. That would, we would be those that are refreshers. That we would see that we are getting ready for a wedding. That we are getting ready for your return. And that, Father, that our eyes would be fixed upon the goal upon the end game, that, Lord, we wouldn't be deflected by pointless arguments, 
but we would be like the wise virgins, making sure that our lamps are full, that our light is burning bright, and that we are ready for your return. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.